Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, the Ben Jarofsky show is about to begin. Oh, thank God. All right. <laughs> oh, gets me every time, ladies and gentlemen. Gets me every time. Oh, Thank God. What did I, and I always forget. Is it science or Lollapalooza that she's thanking God for? D? I can't remember. Which one is Lori Lightfoot thanking God for in that one? Do you know? Let's find out. Science is back, baby. There we go. Science. Although she could be happy science is back because it enabled her to go to Lollapalooza. There's always that possibility. Remember that great one, D? Okay, could be. Uh I would say we would uh, we we since you fired the newsroom, I'd say go get the newsroom people. Oh, remember the newsroom? Gone. Oh, you yeah. fired them. Try not to remember them. They're they were in my apartment. They were never at yours. They're horrible. All right, your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, January eleventh is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, concert listings, reefer, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. I love you too. It is Wednesday, January 11th, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Divided State Wednesday, and here's why. I'll tell you why. The state is divided. I want to give a shout-out to Dave McKinney, uh, ACEWBEZ reporter, uh, excellent coverage of the uh, lame duck section session of the Illinois legislature. I love lame duck. You know, they call it the lame duck, like the duck is lame. Yeah, sounds like a bad meal. <laughs> it does. It's always cracked me up. I'm always wondering, like, where did they get that from? Like, lame duck. It's the lame duck session. Um, so a lot was done in the lame duck session. Uh, they passed uh, some bills. Uh, two decisive bills, one abortion rights bill and the other a uh, ban on assault weapons in the state of Illinois. And I support it. If I was a uh, legislator, as impossible as that is to believe me being an elected official, I would have voted for both of these measures. So well done, Governor Pritzker. Well done, Democrats. Chris Welch. Getting it done as House Speaker. I love you too. Okay. Chris Welch, man, play. He knows how to play the game. I said it once. I'll say it again. If Chris Welch was running the show in New York, MAGA would not be in charge of Congress. Wait, Democrats got to wake up. Put someone who knows what they're doing in charge. That's saying I agree with Chris Welch on everything. Okay, he's a little more moderate than I am. Pride of Joy provides a West High School, but 
He knows how to run the show, knows how to play the game of politics. So uh, anyway, the um, probably have a deeper dive discussion on the ban on assault weapons. But if anybody who thought that this state was uh, united across the board, you got to read Dave McKinney's account of what went down uh, in the uh, lame duck session uh, and the opposition voiced by MAGA reps. Yeah, we have a lot of MAGA reps uh, in the state house. I love Danny Trump and they uh, swear their allegiance or oath of allegiance to MAGA. One is a guy named Blaine Wilhor. Uh, Will Howard <laughs> Wilhor. I have no idea how he pronounces his name. <laughs> I apologize, Blaine. <laughs> Maybe it's Will Howard, not Will Hoare. I humbly apologize. Uh, he is from uh, one of Dennis's favorite towns, Beecher City. Oh, uh, yeah. Dennis. That's south, just a little south. I know. Okay. <laughs> I know you used to hang out there. In fact, my recollection is that you – didn't you have a the brownie guy or the cookie guy come from Beecher City? No? No, no. no. Uh, if we're talking about the same Beecher – like another B- guy, an- E-C-H-E-R, Beecher City. Oh, I think it's a different Beecher. All right. Uh, well, he's from Beecher City, and he was a key advisor to Darren Bailey. Yeah, you guys remember Darren Bailey, DB, the 2002 gubernatorial nominee for MAGA? Who's going to feed them hogs? Yeah, who's going to be? Uh, how soon you've forgotten Darren Bailey? You know, you already forgot. Well, I'll bring him back in a little while, but hold on. So here was Blaine Will Howard's response uh, to the assault rifle ban uh, that uh, the House and the Senate passed and then Governor Pritzker signed into law. Quote, maybe the political winds are in your favor here today, but I can tell you that we will not comply and you're not going to do a darn thing about it because the law, the Constitution, and the founding principles are on our sides. I'm like, come on, now listen, Blaine Wilhauer. Come on, now let's just talk. Like, this legislation... I would have voted for it, yes, but it's really not going to take anybody's guns away. No, take it's not going to take anybody's guns away. You could have like a thousand guns in your garage and you could still keep them. So my question to you is, like, how many is enough? Here is just MAGA. I just want to have a conversation with MAGA right now. What like unlimited guns? Come on, you can't believe in that. Isn't there some like a level? You just think people should like 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 nutty people who have all cats in their house? You know what I mean? At some point, even like that becomes a health issue, right? You know. So Will Will Howard, do you think people should have an unlimited number of cats in their house? Come on, let's just. It just reminds me of the conversation I used to have with my father back in the day when I would let my hair grow out. Oh, my hair was so long; I was a hippie. This <laughs> is back in the day when I had hair. My hair was out there here. Monroe Anderson's laughing. He knows about those days when you had long hair. My hair was out to here. My dad would say, okay, seriously, how long do you want it? So that's my question to MAGA. How many guns do you want? Then we move on to the abortion bill. This one is a real trip. Uh, essentially, the abortion bill passed uh, well, pr- pretty significant and protect uh, women who come to the state to get abortions, uh, and uh, which I applaud because, you know, it's kind of insane that we have some states with out-and-out bans and other states where you can get an abortion. Uh, and uh, But still, women everywhere are going to want abortions in certain instances. In some cases, their health will depend on it. But those nutcase MAGA people down in Texas and Indiana and Ohio. Uh-uh. So anyway, here in Illinois, it's a little different story. Darren Bailey, his last day, you know, he's leaving. 
It was the lame duck session one more time. So it was the old state reps and state senators, and there's going to be a new bunch sworn in, I guess, today. Uh, and Darren Bailey will not be among them. He had to give up his Senate seat to run for uh, governor. So uh, Darren Bailey got up and he started reading from the Bible. Yes, he read from the section of Psalms in the Old Testament that spoke about the creation of life inside the womb. I have no words for it other than pure evil, Bailey said. This is wrong. God help us. This notion of Bailey reading from the Bible brought back a memory to me that, um, and I apologize to our millennials and Zs who may be listening. It's a baby boomer memory. Maybe Monroe shares it. I don't know what he was doing back in the uh, early 70s. I didn't know him then. There was a show called uh, Sanford and Son. And the star of Sanford and Son was one of the funniest men uh, I've ever seen. His name was Red Fox. I don't know if uh, millennials have uh, encountered Red Fox, but Red Fox was quite a character. And in the show, there was a woman named Aunt Esther, who is uh, his, I don't know if she was his aunt. She was somebody's aunt. I don't know whose aunt she was, but she was a very funny comedian, played that role. And there was one moment, she was always squabbling with uh, Red Fox. Uh, and there was one moment when the, the Red Fox character and his son were locked up. I can't remember what they did, but they were in jail. And they needed Aunt Esther, <laughs> I'm laughing at the memory. They needed Aunt Esther to come bail them out. They had no one else to turn to but Aunt Esther. And they always, Red Fox was so mean to Aunt Esther. He called her ugly. And I mean, I mean this show was, this is before political correctness took over. It's a totally different era, millennials. I don't urge you to watch Sanford and Son. I think Monroe's smiling because he probably did watch Sanford and Son back in the day. Aunt Esther goes, well, you're, she comes to jail and Red Fox has got to be kind of nice to her. Like, hey, can, you can't call her ugly or anything. Hey. And uh, or or stupid or what? No, he called his son stupid. And so he goes, bail me out. She goes, oh, no, I'm going to uh, while I got you here as a captive audience, I'm going to give you God's words. And she pulls out the Bible and starts reading the Bible to Red Fox while he's in jail. And Red Fox, oh, no. <laughs> and that's what it was like for me anyway. Darren Bailey whipping out that Bible, you know, Amaga loves reading from the Bible. They forget the passages where you're supposed to be kindly to people who are ailing when they try to kill health care. You know what I'm saying? They forget the parts when you're supposed to help those who are impoverished in need of security when it's like immigrants at the border. Throw them back. You know, you know, any kind of compassion to somebody who's down and out. They don't feel that at all. They want to cut social spending all the time. Right now in Washington, they reserve the right MAGA people who have taken control of Congress. You know, January 6th insurrection didn't work, so they did it at the polls. Thank you again, New York Democrats, for being so clueless. So now they want to, like, you know, cut all programs that would help anybody who's in need. You know, they forget that part of the Bible. They always want to read their selective parts of the Bible. You know, they're like cafeteria Bible readers. They'll take this, they'll take that, that passage here, but ignore the rest. Anyway, very divided state, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, MAGA is still true to its little MAGA beliefs. All right, without further ado, Monroe Anderson will join us uh, as he does every Wednesday. Monroe, do you remember uh, Sanford and Son and Red Fox? Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. You remember Ann uh, Astor? <laughs> Red, yeah, right. No, Red Fox was a funny man. I mean, he, he, he did a lot of um, records, LPs back in the day. And... Um, show you how much times have changed back then they were sort of like a private stash you didn't have them out because they were 
so so blue, shall we say? Amazing. Uh, yes. Even his 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 um his not so blue jokes were blue. Uh, one he was he he talked about how uh, somebody came up to him and asked him he was he was um with his 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 girlfriend or something. Somebody come up to him and ask him how 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 far is the old red log in? And he told him, <laughs> "Mind your own business." <laughs> And you know, and he he and um, I, I forget his son's name, the, the actor played his son. But anyway, they came to Ebony while I was there. Desmond, wasn't it? Desmond, uh, Desmond something, yeah. Desmond Wilson. Yeah, yeah, Desmond <laughs> Wilson. They they came to Ebony, mm-hmm. and he's walking around, you know, and all these um, w- women are following him around. Yeah, you, know, you know, people in general because he's this star there. And so he sees this one very attractive woman. And he, he says, hey, lunch. What did he say? Hey, lunch. Oh, Red Fox <laughs> said that? Yes. Yeah, to her. Right, exactly. But he, was a, <sighs> he, was, he was truly a dirty old man. He was a dirty old man. And by the way, when he was young, this, I remember um, uh, in uh, Malcolm X's autobiography, um, Malcolm X recalls when he was uh, working, I think it was on a train or a restaurant and Red Fox was working with him. Very young Red Fox before obviously uh, he um, struck it out on the road as a, a comedian. And uh, I remember in the book, Malcolm X writes how absolutely funny this guy, I think it was a dishwasher or something. Monroe. It's been a long time since I read that passage. Yeah. He said that he was outrageously funny. Can you imagine be working in a kitchen and Red Fox is washing dishes with you and just cracking jokes the whole time? Right, right, right. Now, well, you know, and this was all vaudeville. Yeah. Like it was vaudeville based. They're, they're, that's why it was, it, it was not PC. Because it, no. it, it was... Um, yeah, it, it it was about sex, a lot about sex back then. All right. So before uh, uh, while we're on the subject of comedy, and before we get to the t- specific subject of uh, how MAGA uh, and McCarthy and the Republicans are making a joke of democracy, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Golden Globes. We were chatting before we went on the air, uh, and I, you caught me off guard when you told me that you watched the Golden Globes. Golden Globes uh, award ceremony was last night. I did not watch the ceremony in real time, but I made a point of watching the opening monologue, Gerard Carmichael. Uh, and uh, and then I watched Eddie Murphy's bit. Wow. We'll get to Eddie Murphy in a little bit. I watched it in real time because of the whole controversy last year and, and the fact that it wasn't on TV. So... I wanted to see what changes were made and how it, so I, so I started watching it and um, it was fascinating. I, I, I stayed with it the entire time. I, it was, it was the best of those shows I've seen in a very long time. All right. Now uh, let's talk about Gerard Carmichael's opening. Uh, yeah. He is a 30 year old, I want to say comedian. Uh, yeah, or young, whatever he is, yeah, right. funny, funny guy, uh, and uh, he his opening monologue was not so much um, a, a, a comic bit. There were some funny parts to it, Monroe, but it was 
it was like storytelling. It was storytelling. He told a story of how it was that he was asked to host uh, the Glo Golden Globes. Uh, he put it into some kind of historical context. Uh, and then he told literally like what happened behind the scenes, the negotiations going on between him and the leader of the, of the Golden Globe as to what he was going to, uh, where they would have a meeting, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, your thoughts about uh, his opening remarks? Oh, they were very good. And, and they were cover your ass. It was a cover your ass approach. Because I have no doubt that there were those who were critical of him for doing it. Uh, basically, um, he he was concerned about being, being called a sellout. Yeah. And so he he went through it, and he was he 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 didn't he didn't joke much. He's very serious, and he started the thing off telling everybody to be quiet because they're noisy at these things. Everybody is noisy. In fact, what's uh, because I watched the whole thing, it was really interesting because by the end, everybody was drunk. <laughs> yeah, they always are. Yeah, yeah they, they were drunk and they would come up there and they were doing such ridiculous things that it was obvious that that they were drunk. You know, so because they they have this booze, they this champagne, they they serve them, but they don't serve them any food, not even hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> and, so, and so when you drink it for three hours on an empty stomach, guess what? <laughs> You're gonna be drunk. Yeah. Uh. It, all right, well, let's talk about the notion of sellout while we're on it. Uh, so the issue is this: <clears throat> the uh, the group that uh, oversees the, the the Golden Globes, I forget the Hollywood Press Club or some foreign. Pro I forget the name. They were all white, yeah, all white press, yeah, all white people. Right. Uh, and uh, last year, I didn't even have uh, a ceremony because it was just too controversial. Uh, because and, they it was, they were all white and they didn't have any black nominations, if I recall. Oh, they may have had one or two, but if, if they had any at all, and so there was a protest, and and uh, the TV networks, uh, being the goodwill agents that they are, <laughs> they decided not to not not to put it on the air, not yeah. to. Air. So they happen, but they just weren't televised. But you know, it's it's such a uh, a trick bag. And you and I have had this conversation so many times. Follow me on this one, then get your reaction. You know, in so many professions. Oh God, I can't stand the rhetoric of MAGA and the Republican Party. But in so many professions, uh, anytime a black person achieves uh, some like honor. A, a prominent a hire, a columnist in our business, an editor, you know, a network exec, white people start talking, oh, well, it's all affirmative action. Right. You only got it because he's black. Right. And uh, it, we like we live in such a race-conscious society, you cannot avoid that. MAGA does the same thing. Folks, do you think Herschel Walker would have been the candidate Bound in Georgia, if Trump didn't think he needed a black guy to run against Raphael Warnock, so we all know what goes on when we're a very race conscious society. So clearly, they had to bring on a black guy, right? As the and, uh, and, 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 he, and he said as much. Yeah, 
in his opening statement that he got it because he was black. That's why he was there. But he's also talented. Right. I mean, you know, it's yeah, like, no, Mike, yeah. Mike, Michael Jordan is black also. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that, by the way, I'm laughing, but this yeah. is this is how affirmative action works for white people. Yeah. Okay. And as a basketball fan, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, this is the truth. In the 60s, when the NBA finally started opening up to black uh, players, there was a need to keep white people, white faces on the bench. This, Monroe, this is, I'm telling you as a, so like there was a quota. You had to have a certain number of white guys because right. the fear was white people would stop following the game if it became too black. Right. That was a fear. And uh, John Thompson in his autobiography talks a lot about the Boston Celtics back in the day when they were champions with Bill Russell. Uh, but even Red Auerbach, the, 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 the leader of that team, felt compelled to have uh, the white quota. Do you understand what I'm saying, Monroe? And oh, yeah. so, you know, another thing that happened back then, I, I can't, re I, I can't remember who this happened to. I read that there was this black basketball player. This is when they were really just integrating. Mm -hmm. This black basketball player was playing, and you know, he's obviously he's bringing his game from the the, the courts, the, the street courts, because they they were just being integrated. Yeah. And so he's 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 driving to the basket and um he's being being um guarded. And so what he does is passes the ball behind his back to one of his white teammates. And the guy takes the ball and throws it into his chest because he thought he was insulting him by passing the ball behind his back. That's wild. I know. I know. It's amazing. It's, this country's insane. <laughs> uh, that's wild. Well, I, so my point is affirmative action work, works both ways. Uh, and uh, I, listen, I uh, I don't blame uh, Gerard Carmichael at all for taking the gig. I get your thoughts on this. And it was very funny. He talked about, they paid him $500,000, I think, Monroe. $500,000 to do that gig. Yeah. And he called his friend. Uh, and she said, take the money uh, and take the white people's money. I think it was something like that. Uh, and I thought, I thought that was, that was a funny part of the, uh, so what would your advice been if he had called you Monroe as to whether he should take the gig? Uh, take the money. Well, it would depend on who, who called me, you know, had, um, Herschel Walker, Alan Keyes called me. <laughs> I already told him, shut up and stay home. <laughs> because they would have done a different bidding than you yeah. got from Gerard Car Carmichael. Yeah. Who really gave them a tongue, tongue, tongue lashing. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I, he, he, it was really not funny. Uh, really I, life. Yeah, I urge everybody to check it out, uh, particularly the part where he reveals the behind-the-scenes conversations uh, that took place with 
uh, he, himself and the, I, the show's director who was trying to get him to meet with the head not, of the not yeah not the director is black so it was the producer so by the way I think the director was was calling on behalf of the head yeah, yeah so no, they were trying because they wanted yeah. to be and, and I and I could understand why but the foreign um writers movie writers or whatever they are uh, um, operation wanted to sit down, have a meeting with him, so they could discuss the whole controversy, explain it to him, and have him explain it to us, the viewers. And uh, and they wanted him to, to tell the tell us, the viewers, about how they had made amends. Mm-hmm. They had hired so many people, and they had done this, and they had done that. And he refused to go. He said he refused to go. They kept trying to get him to come have a meeting. He said um, that one of the reasons he refused to go was because they were hiring him because he was black. And so what were they going to do? Fire the first black guy they hired. <laughs> so he, he, he figured he had the upper hand. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, funny, yeah. Yeah, right. And then the other reason he said he didn't want to meet with them because he knew why they did it and that they hadn't changed. And so he, he 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 knew what was happening. I mean he was it was it it was it was very good what he did. Yeah and uh and then it uh I now I don't know about this this award went out uh because of the need uh to show some love for black people but uh, Eddie Murphy received uh, a lifetime achievement award uh, it was his first Golden Globe that he ever won, which uh, is uh, pretty remarkable when you think oversight. The guy's been making great movies since uh, the Reagan uh, administration. And uh, he got up there, Monroe. Uh, his his uh, speech was much shorter. And he showed why he's on one of the best uh, comedians with that speech. And uh, did, did you see the Eddie Murphy speech, Monroe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, uh, they where he uh, it was really serious and he was thanking everybody. Then he closed. I won't tell you the joke because I don't want to give it away if you haven't seen it. I urge everybody just go to the internet, you'll find it. Uh, all right, um, we've uh, invited the, the yeah, great... and, and and just Ed, Eddie Murphy saved Saturday Night Live literally. Saturday Night Live was on the verge of going out, going mm-hmm. off the air, yeah. And he and he was t- what 21 or something like that. Yeah, it's just raw, his raw talent and creativity just brought brought the viewers back. I mean, he 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 was incredible, and yeah, and he, he had this one piece that I, I I think is one of the best comedy routines ever, and that's when he 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 passed for white. Eddie Murphy passed for white and got on a bus. And as a white guy, they were given everything was free. They were giving him free stuff. Everything he he got on the bus free. I mean, every, everything because he was white, he got all these privileges, which was incredible. Wait, was that on Saturday Night Live? Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And he had this one point where he was trying to get a bank loan. You know, he's dressed up in suit and tie, 
speaking his best white voice, et cetera. Yeah. And he, he, was, he was trying to get a bank loan. And this black guy was the loan agent that he was talking to. <laughs> yeah. And then a white guy comes and 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 and, and, and dismisses the the um the black guy and tell tells tells tell the black guy he'll take care of this one. <laughs> and so the, then the white guy says to him, Ooh, that was a close one. <laughs> and he gives him all the money he has for it. <laughs> That's pretty you funny for Saturday Night Live. Yeah, if you ever, if you haven't seen that skit, you have to see. I'll, it. I'll track it down. I'm yeah. not a huge fan of Saturday Night Live, but uh, I will track it down. For some reason, your camera's not working, Monroe, but uh, I, we can still hear you loud and clear. Oh. Uh, and uh, so, uh, anyway, we uh, uh, Jim Coogan has uh, been so gracious as to uh, agree to join us, Ace Attorney Jim Coogan, dear friend of the show. Uh, as we get into, I just thought let's bring Jim Coogan back to talk about the legal aspects, but I know we'll get into some political aspects of what MAG is up to in Congress these days. Uh, and then the ongoing, there we go, Monroe, I can see you again, the ongoing case against Donald Trump uh, in the matter of E. Jean Carroll and her defamation case. There's so much uh, to talk about uh, with sort of a legal edge. So Jim, welcome back to the show, young man. Hey, it's great to see you guys. And uh, in that skit, I believe it was Joe Piscopo that played the banker who yeah, yeah. realizing, you know, once once the room was clear, he now has this different conversation with the guy that he's treating as a white man. It's it's actually it's pretty good social commentary. It's very funny. Right. I, mean, I remember laughing at it as like a teenager whenever I first saw it. But right. yeah, it's Monroe's right. It's a, it's an excellent skit. And it's uh, and, and it, it would hold up to this day. It would, yep. it would feel dated. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Well, right. Exactly. That's not, that's not a good thing in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Jim, I didn't change. Did you watch the golden globes last night? Just. I didn't yeah. watch the golden globes last night. Uh, I didn't either, but uh, I've watched all the uh, uh, comic bits and I urge everybody to check out the Eddie Murphy one just to see the funny joke he makes at the end uh, and the build up to it. Uh, all right, let's uh, talk about the joke, as I said, uh, that MAG is making out of democracy in Congress. I'm just, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. Uh, and uh, last time, uh, last week, uh, we did the show on Wednesday. Uh, Jim Monroe and I were just, we was they were in the middle of the debacle of Kevin McCarthy trying to round up the votes he needed to get elected speaker. Monroe and I were having a field day with that one. Uh, taking, uh, I, I must confess, taking a little pleasure out of their pain uh, and uh, how how ridiculous they looked. Um, now they seem to have found their footing over the weekend. Uh, Kevin McCarthy was approved. He got the, he rounded up the, the final vote he needed uh, and somebody voted present. So he was able to uh, sneak in uh, and he's making good on his promises, uh, Jim and Monroe, uh, to MAGA to set up investigation committees to essentially investigate absolutely everybody that's on their hit list, whether they've done anything wrong, whether there's any reason to investigate them, uh, they're going to go investigate them. Uh, and it's payback time, I believe, uh, as they see it. And uh, so uh, Monroe, we'll start with you, get your thoughts on what MAG is up to with these investigating committees and we'll turn it over to Jim, get his thoughts. Go ahead, Monroe. Okay. We are about to experience Benghazi on steroids. And, and, and I mean, they want to invest, well, they're planning on investigating the investigators. 
first of all. And secondly, um, it's not going to work. Because the problem is McCarthy made, made a mistake with the January 6th committee in not letting his people on, not, not get letting any Republicans of his choosing on. I mean, he was trying to push Jim, Jim um, Joyner, who just would have made it into a circus. If he had give the, given them a more moderate a group of Republicans, then the, then the January 6th committee would have had to deal with their points and, and uh, of what they're looking at. The Democrats are not going to make that mistake. They're going to be on these investigative uh, committees, and they're going to they're going to counterpunch all the craziness that we're about to experience. Mm. Uh, yeah, but I think that's a good strategy, uh, Jim. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's it, <clears throat> when you think about where they're going to go. Mm. Monroe's 100% right. You know, we we saw what happened when they, ironically, I think I heard Monroe say this from last week's show, uh, that Kevin McCarthy admitted that he that it was completely politically motivated to stretch out the Benghazi hearings that they had as long as they did, put as much emphasis on it as they did, uh, have former Secretary of State Clinton testify for 10 or 11 hours about issues related to Benghazi. Um, but he even admit he then admitted and then kind of lost some of his traction to get to the top of the, uh, Republican leadership in Congress by admitting that the purpose was political, that it affected her polling and affected her, her position, uh, since they knew that she'd be running for president in 2016. So as we go into this now, I mean, you know, you're going to see it's easy for this group in particular to go through all of the silliness that we've seen so far. I mean, frankly, no matter how nervous or frustrated Kevin McCarthy might've been with the voting process last week to become speaker, it still doesn't make any difference to him. It doesn't make any difference to the rest of their caucus. They don't have a legislative agenda. They could have spent, you know, the first six months just voting for a speaker for all they care because they have no agenda. They don't have any priorities and any of the things that they would like to pass, like, I don't know, just eliminating Medicare or Social Security or Medicaid or the whole federal government. Uh, they know it's not going to pass in the Senate. They know it's never going to get signed by the president, president who is in the White House right now. So anything that they might want to do, all the bills that they pass will just be for show, just like these investigations will be for show. Uh, and I guess the, the other side of the investigative coin is They'll try to damage their political enemies. They're going to give an opportunity to guys like Jim Jordan, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene to get in front of the spotlight. I mean, they love being on camera. That seems to be the one unifying principle that motivates all these folks. And, and raising money. And, and then, raising money. Sure, there you go. There's the other yeah. side of the coin. As right. much time as you can be on camera, then when you finish with the hearing, you go over to Fox Business or Fox News, you start talking about it over there. And within 13 seconds of that ending, the emails are out asking for fundraising, the texts, the emails, the tweets uh, saying like, hey, did you hear what we just did? You want more of this? Send us $23. You know, that's it, it, so it all th- there's a perfect synergy in that it doesn't get in the way of anything productive that they could be doing. 
And it's really what they want to do. Just bash people, come up with, you know, they don't, the thing that somebody pointed out, which I think is relevant in commenting on the effectiveness of the January 6th work that they did, the, the congressional committee, and this is not a criticism of what they were doing, but it's important to point this out. That's not the same thing as establishing a court case against any of the any of the other individuals involved in that attempted coup. In other words, putting on a show that you can interview witnesses and kind of make the points that you want to make, there's no judge, there's no rules of evidence. It's really, you can just make it into a media circus if you want to, and nobody can really stop you. And if you've got the gavel in your hand because you control those committees, there's really nothing that anybody can do to stop you. They have to get equal time, you know, to some of the other people on that committee. But after they're done with that, they can just continue to rattle on and uh, put on the show that they want to put on. Yeah, it'll be uh, uh, <laughs> a circus. Uh, well, let me ask you this, Jim. Is there anything there there? So right now it's an open-ended investigation I sent you an article. I don't know if you had a chance to read it in the New York Times. They're essentially saying, we're going to take a look at FBI. We're going to take a look at school boards throughout the country who may be uh, 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 discriminating against parents who want to speak out against textbooks, et cetera. We're going to take a look at the Justice Department and their investigation of Trump. There's really nothing, a specific allegation that they uh, are looking into, which describes uh, differentiates from the Trump investigations. Yeah, it's a fishing ex- expedition and a a, a um, wall sticking ex- exper- experience. It's an experiment they play or do where they're just going to throw crap at the wall and see if anything sticks or not. You, you know, so to answer your question, Ben, you know what makes it a lot easier to just have open-ended investigations and really not tie yourself to any particular point that you're trying to make? Don't tell anybody that you have a point in the first place. If you don't if you don't go into this saying, you know, what we're really looking for is we think Christopher Ray has been abusing the powers at the FBI by doing X, Y, and Z, well, then, then ostensibly those hearings would have to be focused on bringing in Ray or other witnesses, other agents, whoever might've been involved to try to make some kind of a point and actually demonstrate why there had been abuse of power. If they're gonna look at the DOJ, uh, as, as people might recall, there was a very colorful tweet from, from now Speaker McCarthy when he threatened Merrick Garland a few months ago saying to clear his calendar and retain all his documents uh, but he's, he doesn't really point out why they think there's an abuse. They keep throwing around that word weaponization that they seem to have learned in the last two years, uh, indicating that all these different agencies have been weaponized by the Biden administration. But with, if you don't, on the front end, if you don't put together or explain the purpose of these investigations, then, as Monroe just said, you can just have a fishing expedition. And then if they find anything, obviously they'll say, aha, this is what we were looking for all along. But in all likelihood, they won't. And they'll just point out that, well, this just just tells you how much the deep state is really up to over there. They're hiding evidence and now they're just lying to us. Oh, you know, the reason why we didn't find any admissions of uh, abuses of power is because all those witnesses came in there and wouldn't tell the truth. We need some more hearings to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. Endless hearings. Monroe, you you know, though, 
uh, as well as I do, that these quote unquote fishing investigations or uh, expeditions, I should say, and throwing stuff against the wall can lead to something. And what just popped into my mind when you were talking uh, was uh, in the, back in the 90s, where an investigation into the Clintons' whitewater investments led to Monica Lewinsky right. and ultimately the impeachment of the president for lying under oath. Right. Uh, so you don't know where this will go. Go ahead. No, that's what they're hoping for. That's what I, when I said that, that, that it is a f- fishing expedition, this is what they, they hope, you know, even, even with the classified papers, the fact that we now know that Biden had a few. They're, they're trying to have that as the equivalency of of, uh, of what Trump did, and it's, it's no comparison. I mean, I, I could go through it, but I think as a lawyer, Jim could do a, a better job and um, that he should explain that to your listeners. Take it away, Jim. Uh, in terms of what they might find, or are you? Well, just in terms of the differences, again, just so I'm, I'm sure my uh, uh, listeners know because they're all political junkies. But uh, oh, yeah, okay, right. yeah. So over the last, right. uh, I think it was November second, oh, yeah. uh, the uh, uh, some lawyers for Biden discovered some doc- federal documents uh, that were uh, in a not-for-profit center with the vice presidential papers. Yeah. And these are documents that he should not have had. It should have been uh, archived with the National Archives. Uh, and they're, in, in the most general uh, sense of the word, it's there's comparisons to what Donald Trump, the uh, situation in Mar-a-Lago where he had hundreds and hundreds of uh, uh, documents. Uh, they've been in, trying to get for more than yeah. you know. So what Monroe is saying is like, uh, walk us through the distinctions between the Trump case and the Biden case. Yeah, I, I would seize on your description that it is in a very, very general sense there is a similarity between these two. And, and look, there could be more to it, but at this point, that's all we know. Um, because the the most significant distinctions between these two situations are a this was a voluntary disclosure by the lawyers working for for now president biden b there isn't any indication that they fought returning the documents that they haggled over which documents they would have to return or that they simply refused to participate and cooperate thus forcing the fbi and the National Archives to execute a search warrant on Mar-a-Lago and go look for those documents. So uh, right now, we don't know much, but what we know is that this was something that at this Penn Biden Center, they'd been doing some kind of foreign policy thing at at, uh, the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. According to reports, very little information that that Monroe and, and Jim and Ben know for now, but according to reports, they were kept in some kind of a locked container, a locked closet. They weren't just sort of sprayed around somebody's desk or that they were in, in random boxes in storage rooms that weren't uh, locked. And then when they found them in the process of cleaning this place out, which kind of suggests that they had been neglected and just forgotten, doesn't mean that if they were classified, and apparently some of them might have been, that that's not important. It is important, but they voluntarily brought them back. And I think the point that that maybe we have to acknowledge is people who have security clearances by virtue of high-level government positions who are handling some of these documents might 
in certain circumstances have brought them to other locations, but they still have a responsibility to take care of them and be careful with them. And if they still have them, then they have to handle them properly. Um, it's probably the kind of thing where maybe Joe Biden ends up getting a slap on the wrist because he shouldn't have had them. But we don't even know if that's the case just yet. Uh, they were brought back in sometime during the time that he was serving as vice president. Obviously, he had a lot of connections to and involvement in uh, Obama administration foreign policy. So to the extent that the description included that they were these are related to Ukraine and England and some other uh, foreign countries, that would explain why he'd be looking at them. But we don't really even know what they are. Yeah. And, you know, maybe more importantly, there's no indication that any of them have to do with weapons systems or the locations of weapons or some or things like that, which evidently is included in what uh, former President Trump uh, fought over returning to the National Archives. So there's a lot of distinctions that we and have. I'll, and here's another distinction. Uh, and this uh, this has some parallels uh, to perhaps what went down uh, in the 90s with Clinton. So following this, uh, Jim and Monroe, this is one of my favorite topics. You probably both heard me on it. Democrats played a game different than Republicans. So Democrats, uh, <laughs> Democrats actually act as though it's a legit game uh, and this is potentially uh, an illegal situation that warrants an investigation and it should be void of political considerations uh, and we should be as objective as we possibly can be in our investigation and if it proves the investigation that wrongdoing is done, uh, we will punish the wrongdoers. That's the Democratic uh, approach. Republican approach, of course, uh, is to immediately launch a counterattack, pretend nothing, it's all a witch hunt, uh, and, and then uh, launch an investigation of the investigators to further divert. So to my point, uh, Merrick Garland has appointed John Lausch from right here in Illinois, a Republican, a Trump, uh, nominee, the, uh, uh, this, the prosecuting attorney from Northern Illinois, um, to do an investigation as to whether they should have a special counsel. For all I know, they're going to end up, because it was Janet Reno who set up the special counsel back in the days. We're going to finish the parallel, Jim and Monroe. It was Clinton's attorney general who set up the special counsel that investigated Clinton Whitewater that led to uh, Ken Starr and Lewinsky. So I'm like, I'm reading this, Jim and Monroe, and I'm smiling because, yes, it's the way you should approach the matter. Absolutely. Okay. This, the, this is how you should approach a matter like this. On the other hand, it's just so – it's like one more time, Jim Coogan. It's like Democrats, like, enter the ring with one hand behind their back. And you got this other side with, like, knives and brass knuckles and – AK-15s. AK-15s. Monroe, they don't even pretend to play by the rules. Right. You know? right. And so here the Democrats are playing by the rules. And Jim McCougan is absolutely right, Monroe. There is no diff. There is only in the most general way are these two cases. Okay. Well, well, this, Go ahead, Monroe. This is the bone that the Republicans have to chew on. And it's not much, but... What they're saying right now is that Biden knew about these papers 
before the, the midterms and managed to keep it a secret until afterwards. And that probably is true. Uh, but again, it's the FBI and their whole, uh, we're trying not to be um, metal with the elections. And so had it been announced a week before the elections, the Republicans would have taken that and blown it way out of proportion and made what Trump had done at Mar-a-Lago with his documents and that um, equals, mm. or even maybe worse, that what Biden had done was worse than what Trump had done. Well, there's already an indication that they're, I mean, look, the, the quotes that I've seen since this story broke are already not honest. I mean, the Republicans quotes. Yeah, I mean, they're already claiming that this was, you know, that he did this on purpose, that he didn't want to return. I mean, it's, right. it's already being spun. Right. With, exactly. with facts that are definitely not true, that, that Jim Jordan does not know any of these things just yet. But he says them confidently and very loudly and not wearing a jacket. And that's the I mean, it's just another indication of where the, the direction that any of this is going to go. Ben, I, I, I completely acknowledge your point. I don't really know how else Democrats are supposed to behave if they believe in any if they have any principles whatsoever and they believe that government has to be. It has to be operated in a way that actually is in service of the people that it governs, then this is how they have to do it. I, I, I mean, I get it. And I, you know, on some level, I almost wonder, you guys can tell, tell me this because I haven't been watching this as long as you have. Was this always, I mean, I know that this has been the case for the last 10 years and it was kind of the case in the early 2000s when Karl Rove was running political operations for the Bush administration. But was this true like in the 60s and 70s? Wasn't there at least a little bit more of a, at least a bipartisan idea that, okay, oh, we're going to have real investigations. Like there were, there were Republicans that would actually conduct investigations yeah. back then. Right. I mean, you oh, can't even, you can't even compare Monroe knows this. Cause we, 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 we came up the same at time. You can't, I mean, it's just such a different political universe. Uh, so for instance, like the divisions between a Republican and a Democrat are much more pronounced today than they were back in the sixties uh, the seventies there, you could go, if you're, if you really want to take a deep dive, which I've done, uh, Jim, I don't recommend this to anybody else, but <laughs> you go back on the internet. Uh, they have a lot of the key recordings that LBJ president, Linda Baines, Johnson, a Democrat millennials, uh, made, uh, in the white house. He too was taping his conversation as Richard Nixon was, mm. uh, and there are conversations that he had with Everett Dirksen, this is a name from the distant past. Uh, he was a, a, Demo a Republican senator from Illinois, very powerful senator, Republican senator. Just get that Republican part right. Uh, it was very close to LBJ because they were both senators together in the 50s. And they would have private conversations. And Johnson would be complaining to Dirksen about what a rat Nixon was and how he knew Nixon was, he felt committing treason by trying to undercut the Hubert Humphrey political campaign of 1968 uh, by trying to sabotage peace talks in Paris between Vietnam, Vietnam. and the United States. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just inconceivable to me today that a, that kind of conversation could take place between, let's say, Joe Biden, Mitch McConnell, you know, or uh, Donald Trump 
and Chuck Schumer. You know, I just I can't imagine it. And then, of course, the Watergate hearings, uh, Lowell Weicker was one of the um, Republican senators at the Watergate hearings. He was as tough on Nixon's people as the Democrats were. Monroe, you remember all this stuff. It was just a different era. Right. Uh, you know, well, then I think the, the, the distinction I, I, as my observations would like to me personally, the obvious difference is the guys you just described had an equal, just a different perspective, but an equal interest in trying to maintain the integrity of the government itself. Yeah, obviously they wouldn't, you know, the, the senator you just mentioned wouldn't have been difficult on Nixon's people other than to to try to get to the bottom of it, because the point would be to show we're serious about this. We wouldn't put up with this kind of chicanery. We wouldn't put up with a president uh, aiding in the cover up of uh, a, a clandestine uh, attempt to gather information about a political opponent. Whereas now this is where I started my, my commentary today. They don't care whether Congress functions and they don't care, care whether they get anything done. And I don't think care. I, I think they've, they basically start from the position that government isn't legitimate. So trying to demonstrate why it's legitimate, why it's something that we should all be participants in and, and is valuable. It, it doesn't make any difference. So it wouldn't hold them back. So I guess that you answered my question. I think that yeah. that, that helps explain it. Monroe, I, uh, I'm thinking of uh, Lowell Weicker, who's the senator from uh, Connecticut, who was on the Watergate committee and asked tough questions uh, of the Republicans. That I guess the modern-day equivalent would be Liz Cheney, yeah. uh, who, as a Republican congresswoman, uh, asked tough, very tough questions of Trump. The difference between the Republican Party in the 70s and the Republican Party uh, in the 220s is that Liz Cheney was driven out of the Republican Party, literally driven out of the party. They, they ultimately stripped her of her uh, committees. Uh, they ran a woman against her in the primary. I don't think any Republican elected officials, I can think of it, uh, with the exception of maybe Adam Kinzinger, um, endorsed her and she lost. They kicked her out of the party, Monroe. And so that just tells you right now a big difference between Republicans than in know, it, the real difference is uh, Fox, yeah, cable news. Had Fox existed during Watergate, Nixon would have survived uh, because they would have been on there yeah. sending him day in and day out and coming up with BS reasons why he shouldn't resign and why it was okay. For him to burglarize the offices and that it was a second rate burglary to begin with, et cetera, et cetera. He would have survived. Yeah. Um, where the Republicans have their strength is they have their whole, their own propaganda machine that perpetrates these lies and, and defends the liars and promotes the liars. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a different world completely. Uh, Jim, I got this quote. I want to read you from the New York Times today. Get your response to it uh, as our legal expert. Uh, so this is an article that's in today's New York Times by Charlie Savage. Shout out to Charlie Savage. Uh, How cases of Trump and Biden compare. And it's a breakdown. Uh, it's it's I think it's a pretty thorough breakdown of the differences between the two cases of the missing documents. Uh, and uh, so it's. Uh, each, each section is, is highlighted with a question that he answers. 
Uh, but this is the part that uh, I would love to get your thoughts on. In each case, was the question, were the documents still classified? And the answer is probably. And then he writes, Mr. Trump publicly claimed that before leaving office, he declassified everything that turned up at Mar-a-Lago. No credible evidence has emerged to support that claim, and his lawyers have resisted repeating it in court where they are professional consequences for lying, end of quote. <laughs> where there are professional consequences for lying. What is he getting at there? What are the consequences uh, a lawyer faces if he or she uh, goes into court and repeats the, the fabrications of their client, in this case, Donald Trump? So anytime this issue comes up where you've got questionable arguments the the, the the whole the considerations are that number one you owe a duty of of loyalty and of responsibility and uh, to zealously represent your client right you you have to take your positions in favor of your client that's your obligation that's what you've you've committed to because of your general commitment as an attorney and when you agreed to be professionally responsible for that client's interests that responsibility sometimes comes up against and abuts your ethical responsibilities to the state that you are licensed by or states that you're licensed by and the general ethical obligations of an attorney. I mean, they're, they're spelled out, but there's also, just generally speaking, you kind of have uh, an ethical responsibility because you are an officer of the court. The court is the judge or judges, if it's an appellate panel, that are they are entitled to try to take what you're saying on faith that you're not going to intentionally lie to them because otherwise things would really get complicated and, and really grind to a halt. So that's, so they're sitting there thinking, well, these are attorneys, they're licensed, they know the rules and they're supposed to be at least telling me the truth, but I can tell where they're, you know, arguing aggressively and maybe spinning, but there's a difference between spinning and making a flat representation about something that is flatly untrue. So, yeah, where you're just lying. I mean, so at the end of the day, you put your license on the line. And we have been witnessing that, the consequences of that with a now disgraced former New York mayor who just recently concluded a hearing for his uh, license in, in the District of Columbia. And I mean, the recommendation was to, that he lose that license. It's been suspended since whenever they initially uh, put that in place following his, the ver various lawsuits that he filed on behalf of Trump and the Trump uh, campaign following the 2020 election, um, it's presently suspended and it might eventually be revoked. So that's what Savage is getting at, is that there is there are lines that a smarter lawyer won't cross because it's your license at the end of the day. The client might want you to lie about something, but you got to think about the time that you've committed to your career and whether or not you'd like to continue serving as an attorney and, and continue in that career. Some lawyers don't take that into account. Um, Julianne is a great example. And there was a very recent example from one of your other pet cases, or it's a constellation of cases against Alex Jones, mm. the attorney who was representing him in the Sandy Hook case in Connecticut. Uh, has been, I think they recommended suspension of his license because he was so reckless in sharing information that was in discovery in those cases. It was like personal, sensitive 
uh, psychological, psychiatric, and medical records for the plaintiffs who were suing Jones for uh, for his defamation of them. And ultimately, because he was so careless with these records and had already been admonished to be more careful with them and then still sent them out there. And then the, the, the whole, the judge explicitly said, the, these are very sensitive. They could end up in the media. Your client is a person in the media. Please be careful with these. You have to be careful with them. And he did it anyway. Mm. So, you know, that's not so much a, a, a misrepresentation, but the point is that might've been something that Jones wanted him to do. I mean, I don't know. They haven't gotten to the bottom of it yet. There'll probably be a hearing about that at some point. But those are the kind of things that at least what that's, and this is another reason why in the media, they rely differently upon things that are filed in court. We, we actually, I think we talked about this on the show sometime last year, maybe a couple years ago, when the Trump administration or the Trump campaign would file things as lawsuits. Essentially, it created a, a, a structure where they were kind of laundering nonsense and BS and making it more credible because it has this indicia of credibility by being filed as a lawsuit. So instead of the reporter on Fox or the or Hannity or or whoever coming in and saying, you know, today the the campaign issued a statement of blah 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 to denouncing something or screaming and yelling about something, instead they could say lawyers claimed today blah 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 about John Eastman about these things that he was claiming in this lawsuit that they filed or the other, uh, the investigation into Crossfire Hurricane, that this, you know, lawyers on behalf of the Trump administration from the Department of Justice made a filing today about X, Y, and Z um, in, in, in their investigation. And therefore, it kind of creates more of a, a vindication that this is reliable, that it must be fact-based because mm -hmm. a lawyer wouldn't file that otherwise. So there are other times where that's manipulated and it's used. Um, and now I can't remember the gentleman's name, the guy who's been running around investigating uh, uh, Robert Mueller for the past three years. And it's, it's still going on. I think they still haven't completely shut that down. Dunham with the Dunham. Yes. Yeah. John Dunham. That's his yeah. name. Yeah. So Durham, John Durham. So that's, and that was, that was a very, like this, this has been commented on by thoughtful media members that that was, that was a way that they went about creating these things as stories. Durham would file something that was so overtly political with a bunch of extraneous nonsense that the judge, when they would dismiss it or have an, a ruling on it, would say, well, I don't know why you had all this other stuff in here because it has nothing to do with the issue of, this is just like a subpoena for a witness that who's not cooperative. <laughs> and they, they put like a 20 page press release in there, but it's basically laundering this information using the, the notion of a lawyer filing it to try to create more authority that, it, well, this, these things must be real. This is true. And, and to have something to report on Fox. There you go. Yes. That's where it ties together. Yeah, it's, yep. it's just a media cycle. Uh, all right. We're into the crimes of Trump. Uh, and I'm going to give each of you an opportunity to address uh, two crimes that I'm following. Uh, I mean, there's so many to investigate. Uh, and these are real, ladies and gentlemen, as opposed to, uh, Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan crimes uh, against uh, Biden, which they're on the lookout for. Uh, Monroe, we'll start with you in Georgia. <laughs> I, I, you had a He's prediction. Be in, Trump air. will be invited, indicted two weeks from now. Two weeks, my prediction. Uh, and 
in the state of Georgia, state crime. In the state of, yes, in yeah. the state of Georgia for state crime. Two weeks from now. That's how specific I'm getting. Uh, and the crime, the specific crime will be? Uh, trying to rig the election. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, not re- trying to rig. It, there's a legal term for that that Jim could probably better describe, but I think uh, uh, say, I mean, it's a real legal term. Um, it's um, but it's, it's but it's really just trying. It's to literally it. stealing an election because he yeah. asked. Yeah. They have them on tape, Monroe. Right. They have them on tape. Seven thousand eight hundred and seventy votes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's I, you know, I know. What's, what's the term that I'm missing? I think you're looking. I mean, it would be defrauding the the electorate or defrauding the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, yeah. in, in all likelihood, there might be other specific terminology in the whatever Georgia statutes that they'd rely on, but that's the general concept. Yeah. You, you know, Monroe. Here's the thing, uh, and this gets back to. Uh, what we began the conversation with, where the Republicans, when all the Democrats began to investigate the crimes of Donald Trump, Republicans said, your time will come. You keep doing this, we're going to do this to you. And so the, sort of the implied threat is <laughs> just you got to let it go, no matter what he does. You got to let him do whatever he wants. You have to right. have no regard for even the most blatant and obvious violations of the law, or we are going to do it to you even if right. there are no indications of violation of the law and this right. is so blatant Monroe, i don't know how you could overlook it go ahead right no it's it's it, what he did was blatant and they don't have anything to match it again as i i said at the beginning of this particular session we're going to get benghazi 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 on steroids there was nothing to Benghazi. Um, the Americans that were killed in, in Benghazi was the ambassador and three CIA operatives. And, and that danger came with the job. It wasn't that anything Hillary could have done to anybody else. I mean, they, that's, that would be like somebody got killed um, in 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 the Ukraine, and you're and you're complaining about them getting killed. When you're in a dangerous game, things happen. So um, Trump, that's why I say Trump. Trump goes there first with the indictment. Now whether he'll get convicted or not, I don't. I don't want to predict that because it's Georgia. And, and um, as, as we know. Justice can be different in Georgia. In New York, if Trump gets indicted there, either because of his businesses, his crooked businesses he did, that's one of his liabilities. The other is the rape case. If he gets indicted on either one of those, he's going to be convicted. He's not, he, there's not going to be a cakewalk for him in wow. New York. Well, we, all right, now we're at the E. Jean Carroll uh, defamation rape case. And uh, Jim, I want to get your thoughts on the latest, uh, what Trump is trying to do when his lawyers are arguing in court. Uh, but I just want to point out there's, uh, there's two suits against Trump uh, it, out of E. Jean Carroll. E. Jean Carroll, of course, the writer, 
uh, who alleged that Donald Trump raped her back in the 90s. One is the defamation case uh, where she sued him uh, and when he when he said he never did it and the way he said it. But also uh, she filed a civil case uh, about the rape itself, alleging that she was raped. Uh, and so that's a matter that has nothing to do with his presidency. Uh, there was a law, a law that enabled um, victims of sexual crimes uh, to go. I think they extended the deadline uh, into uh, it, way past the statute of limitation. Uh, in order, the, this last year there was a, a, a law passed in the state of Illinois, the state of New York, to enable to do it. So there's two cases uh, uh, fronts that he's fighting. Uh, in the matter of the defamation, Jim, it looks as though uh, there's some judges are sympathetic to him. Uh, as to whether he can be charged with defamation uh, because of comments he made while he was president. Why don't you uh, explain what's going on and your thoughts on it? Yeah, the, the bigger issue that you're pointing to there, it's a little bit complicated because it's a state case in New York, civil case for money damages, but Mr. Trump asserted that he was doing that the comments that he made, which I get, I mean, I know how I, I have trouble exp explaining this because it just sounds so preposterous. Uh, the, the claim was that he made the comments that he made allegedly defaming Miss Carroll in his professional and official capacity as president of the United States. This brought in, it brings in two issues. One, that the Justice Department had to provide a defense for him civilly under the Westfall Act, which is a law that says that, that officials or government employees that are doing something that gets sued individually um, for something that's arguably part of their job as a federal employee, as part of the government, that they are entitled to be defended by the government, which on its face sounds fair, except in this situation, uh, the trial judge rejected it. And then a, a New York appellate court said, well, this may turn on issues of District of Columbia law. And that was the thing that, that just happened in the past, I think yesterday or this week, that an argument at the appellate level in the District of Columbia court was considering whether or not the this is basically in his professional and official capacity. So it could either a mean that it's that there's no case whatsoever because he would be immune from liability because he made the statements as the president, or b it would also implicate whether or not he can continue to have his defense provided for by the Department of Justice. Yeah. So um, you know it, it definitely. Well, there's a couple other aspects to this that may render this completely irrelevant. The uh, the arguments happened. The decision won't be issued for a little bit. Uh, as to your, your, your question about sympathetic judges, I think this, I think that what you're referring to is that at the arguments, you, you know, you try to read the tea leaves with these things, whether or not questions that are espoused by or statements that are made by an appellate judge while they're having an oral argument really means that they're going to lean one way or the other is never crystal clear. I mean, this is just all you can do is guesstimate because then you wait and see what the, the decision actually says. However, being him, being Donald Trump, he's he subsequently opened himself up to another defamation case about the same issue six months ago or five months ago in 2022 
by repeating the same statements that E. Jean Carroll is a liar. Right. He wasn't president at the time, despite what some people believe. <laughs> he wasn't president in 2022. So that case, which I believe she already filed a subsequent yeah. uh, case that'll probably be uh, merged with the original one, would really not implicate any of these issues because it's there's no longer any immunity and there's no longer any Westfall Act and there's no longer any of that stuff yeah. for statements that he made in September or November of 2022. Yeah. And then the other issue is she has separately filed a lawsuit for the actual sexual battery and sexual assault itself because New York extended and and essentially suspended the statute of limitations for physical sexual assault um, with looking back to the past that people who otherwise would have been barred statute of limitations is a, is in civil or criminal cases says after a certain date depending on what crime or what civil tort you're alleging you can no longer bring a case so the, there's a there's a sunset time but that didn't apply for one year starting in november of 2022 in the state of new york so she has also sued him for raping her in the first place which also brings in none of these other concerns and really that appellate case or that that argument that happened this week wouldn't bear on this in any way she has so she really has two cases that are unencumbered by this concern yeah no and uh that's why i'm saying mccarthy and his gang do all the investigations they want monroe and jim but the there's many cases against Trump, but these two cases, I keep pointing out these two cases, they're going to haunt this man for many years to come. And you're right, Jim. For this, Putin counted on two key Whoa. figures, Sergei right. Sodiu, the Minister of Defense, and Valerie Jo... Wow, well, I don't know Apologies what that was. That was on me. So, so. Okay, it's all good. Uh, it'll be... You watch, guys. That'll be edited out. You, you, uh, you're repeating yourself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I... The, these two cases will haunt him, uh, and uh, they aren't going anywhere. And I know as long as I have a microphone, I'll be talking about him. And I know as long as Monroe's coming and before my microphone, he'll be talking about him. Uh, and I'll be asking Jim Coogan about him. Uh, the E. Jean Carroll one, I've, I just, it's an inexcusable allegation uh, that she made. It doesn't mean it's true because she made the allegation, but obscure law and order uh, party military journal in Russian written Sorry, by Sorry. a man named Valery Gerasimov. Uh, the Is all good, D? Yeah, new computer. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. Uh, anyway, so uh, just to, to, to summarize, we'll be watching this ones for a long time. Uh, Jim, okay. I want to go ahead, Monroe. Go ahead. Yeah, one quick thing. We cannot forget January 6th. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the big one. Yeah. Now, it's uh, uh, Georgia is low hanging fruit. Uh, the, the rape is a little higher hanging, but uh, it's there. The, the January 6th insurrection is going to be the giant killer. It's going to take longer to develop. And what's interesting is while um, the Republicans are busy planning on their fake investigations, they are targets in this real investigation. 
And so at some point in the not too distant future, they're going to be t talking to a jury, a, a real jury, not to to uh, the Fox cable news viewers. Yeah. Yeah. No, that one, too. That's the third one. Uh, and that's what the uh, you're right, Monroe. So much of the circus, uh, the McCarthy and Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Green plan uh for the next year or two in Congress is to divert attention from that ongoing investigation about the insurrection. Uh, Jim, you had some interesting thoughts uh, I would like you to, to close with about what went down in Pennsylvania uh, with the election of their speaker and the parallels to McCarthy. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I think um, when I read this story, I shared it with you because it just it generated a lot of different thoughts because we and this has been a theme of this whole show. We talked about it earlier. We live in a time where the polarization of, of what now are, they're not even two political parties that overlap in almost any way whatsoever anymore. It, not only is there a lot of polarization between the two polls, the two parties, but the divide in a lot of states where uh, districts have been drawn in ways that, that generally favor the, what, uh, what would otherwise be the minority party in those states, which happened in Pennsylvania, happened in New York for federal districts, as you've repeatedly reminded the listeners of this show about, um, it, it means that a lot of states, Illinois is not an example of this, but states reflect the same kind of extremely close to 50% divide that we see nationally. You know, the Senate, instead of being a 50-50 division, it moved all the way to 51 so 49, and then you've got somebody who's you know claiming to be an independent and all that stuff. But other than the states that are just completely drawn one way or the other, there's some really tight divisions. And Pennsylvania was so close that Democrats would have had a majority by one vote, I think, in the state house, the their version of the House of Representatives. But because one person died. And the other was unable to attend. I think they were sick. I can't remember what the reason why they weren't available was. Or actually, they might have resigned for some other reason. You know what? It, that's what it was. They took a different position. They ran for another office and they won. And so therefore, they were not going to be sitting in their position. So instead of having a one-seat majority, Democrats were going to have a one-seat minority, although eventually, presumably, they'd get those two seats back. But it meant that they weren't going to have that majority at the time that they had to choose a speaker. And now the, the national American audience has been reminded just how chaotic things can be until you actually choose a speaker, uh, similar to the federal situation where they can't do any business in the House until they have a speaker. Uh, the, the House in Pennsylvania also really couldn't do anything until they elected somebody. So they had this interesting compromise. And I think it reflects that on one level, that on the state level, it, it maybe isn't as bad as what we continuously have to see nationally. Because, you know, partly because of what Monroe pointed out, Fox News, the fact that there's a place that they can go and really they're just playing for that audience means that publicly people like even McCarthy, who I think might be someone who would otherwise get along with Democrats better than the wildest wing of his party, can never say that. He can never admit to that. He has to constantly beat the drums of, of division and investigation and Democrats are evil monsters. Um, but, but on the local level in states like Pennsylvania, it's not quite as bad. 
And interestingly, it led to uh, the compromise it came up with was a guy who had been running as a Democrat and won his seat as a Democrat. It, and now I guess there's been some fallout for this. He hasn't completely followed through on this promise yet, but promised he would become independent and no longer caucus with the Democrats if they elected him speaker as like a compromise independent candidate. Um, they did it. They elected him. Although now, you know, the next question is they have to do the same things that the feds have to do, which is set forth the rules for the next session and kind of define what's going to happen going forward. But I think it's interesting that I already mentioned this, that compared to the federal divide, maybe it's not as bad even in states where it's essentially a 50-50 thing. And we know that about Pennsylvania because they've gone between Democrat and Republican governors, Democrat and Republican senators over the past few years. We've seen how redrawing districts there made some of the congressional districts so uh, tightly contested. Uh, the state you know, has several Republican federal legislators. Uh, it, it's just kind of an interesting commentary on how things can go when it's not necessarily as polarized, but it's also, I think, an indication of if we didn't already know this and it wasn't already obvious by how divisive and psychotically angry everything seems to be in politics these days, we got to try to do better. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, and, and in Illinois, we're in a situation where it's completely controlled by one party. But unfortunately, and I say this unfortunately, I think I texted you about this too, uh, the, the, the minority party that really has no, there's no present pathway to Republicans gaining real power in the state of Illinois right now. But that's, that's their own doing. They did that because Illinois is a moderate left-leaning state that otherwise could be closer to 50-50. Gosh, it's only been, what, five years since we elected a Republican governor? Yeah. But instead, their inclination has been to go way further to the right. And and as you've, one of your favorite political uh, figures to comment on on the show, DB, uh, if yeah. you're the leader of the Republican Party in this state right now, because uh, uh, the former Republican leader in the House, Jim Durkin, just resigned. Yeah. A uh, guy who, look, as he pointed out, he I think he called himself the moderate conservative or something like that in that biography about him that went back into his career. He was part of the, the group that investigated whether or not Illinois should get rid of the death penalty because as a former prosecutor, he realized that even though that's usually a right-left issue, uh, that Illinois' administration of it was dangerous and people were being killed by the state when they might not have been guilty. So it's it's not a great commentary on where that is headed um, I don't like it, but I guess that's this. This is also sort of like an interesting marker in that continuation. Uh, you, we, I had the comments before you came on the show. Uh, you, you like read my mind from those comments. I opened the show talking about uh, the um, the debate yesterday uh, in this the state uh, legislature when they passed the law, the outlawing uh, assault rifles and law uh, protecting abortion rights, and the extreme rhetoric from MAGA in opposition to those show that this divide uh, is at very bit as much pronounced in Illinois uh, as it is in Pennsylvania or other states. Uh, I mean, Darren Bailey was reading from the Bible uh, yesterday's final act uh, as senator to denounce uh, the, um, he was doing selective readings from the Bible to denounce. In favor of more assault rifles, the Bible. Con- no, he, 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 it's a good point. <laughs> he found, 
Yeah, that, that portion. Of I mean, the there's selective reading, and then there's selective reading. <laughs> that's it. That's the King, King James edition. <laughs> Good Lord, Monroe. I got. I gotta. We'll close with this. I want to throw this one to you because I don't know if you follow that uh, that political wheeling and dealing in Pennsylvania. I followed it as, uh, for a while, uh, but you know what? Going back to McCarthy, he is so vulnerable. Think about this, Monroe. So Jim is talking about a situation in Pennsylvania where the Democrats cut a deal. They reached out to the Republicans uh, and it could all fall apart, as Jim's pointing out. Uh, you and I talked about how Jim Clyburn had uh, urged McCarthy to reach out to Democrats and just bypass uh, the MAGA wing nuts. And Kevin McCarthy was too chicken to do that. But Monroe, the one of the rules they passed said they could be a recall at any time by any representative of the speaker. Right. Okay. And to to throw it right back at the Republicans, two could play that game. So right. if Jim's exactly. pointing out someone gets sick who's a Republican and can't show up, you know, George Santos gets indicted, whatever what's going well, on with him. George Santos is out. If you the, the Republicans in New York have asked him to step down. Step down. Okay, it'll be, yeah. a, Demo it'll be a special election. And so the, the point is, they it's very fragile for Kevin McCarthy. Yep. You know what I mean? Because he chose to go with the wing nuts as opposed to Jim Clyburn, he has a very fragile existence. This is the, 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 the situation with McCarthy. He has no principles... He has no no standards, except he wanted to be Speaker of the House. That was his goal. He wanted that to be on his tombstone. So that's been accomplished. If they kick him out tomorrow, he will have accomplished what he really wanted to accomplish. And so he, he he's a happy camper. Well, uh <laughs> I don't know if he'd be so happy if they boot him out as speaker. Uh, he'll be an unhappy camper. Uh, but when, when Jim was doing that recitation of what went down in, in Pennsylvania about how one Democrat was sick or one Democrat, don't, one died and one got a new gig, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. That's yeah. what popped into my head. This could happen in, uh, in Congress. Right, yeah. and, and, and McCarthy knows that. Yeah. Yeah, he knows that. On some level, he has to know that. I mean, yeah, right. right now, look at it. He's got 222 Republicans. Uh, six of them, I think, agreed to vote present. And by the way, can I just say how wild it is when you're giving massive concessions as a speaker? So you have this power where you can appoint people to committees and and make them actually the chair of those committees. He's giving this power to people who wouldn't even support him. All they did was vote present. I, that That blows my mind just as a as a politician, as a real wheeler and dealer, as you give credit to Chris Welch uh, or our old, you know, 35 year speaker, Mike Madigan, can you imagine those guys ever no. giving this no. kind of a concession to someone who didn't look, you want to vote for me? That's fine. But if all you're going to do is vote present so I can win, you are going to be on the outskirts. You're going to be in Siberia. You're not going to have any power whatsoever. You know how those guys would operate. And that's how you should operate. Honestly, you, you have that power for a very limited period of time for most people. So you need to get things done that you want to get done. But right now, they're at 222. If they lose the Santos seat, if they have a special election, 
Now he's got a majority of two votes, right? Isn't it 219 or two? No, 218. 218. Say three votes yes. for anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's going to be, I, I, yeah, I think I, I called this the saga of Kevin McCarthy on one of the shows that we did before that we were going to see coming, coming up because he's basically this figure that sold everything out just to get the title. Monroe is hundred percent right. I think his read on this, there's no evidence to the contrary. <laughs> That's exactly who he is. It's exactly what he desperately wanted. You saw the smile on his face when they finally announced it. I mean, think about it. Somebody wins that bruising fight and they're just gleeful about it. Normally all you would think is, geez, what am I going to do with this? I don't, I barely won this thing to begin with. Uh, I'm not sure if I want this, but he was just skipping along happy. Uh, it, I don't know if it'll last in the position. And I also think, I hope that maybe it really waters down their capacity to hold the debt ceiling hostage. Cause that's really, right. you know, that and government funding are two of the biggest issues that are going to be impacted by these people, the investigations, maybe they find something, maybe it's just a big show, but are you telling me that there's not 20, 30, 40 Republicans that are going to break away and say, you know what, I'd rather not lose my entire 401k or crash the global economy over this. It's just not worth it. Well, we'll we'll have to see. Well, now now you're now you're getting the realm, Monroe, uh, Monroe. You get your thoughts on this before we go. I, uh, the realm of will Republicans break from MAGA? If we talk about the difference between Trump and Trumpism, essentially, it's Trumpism prevails. Monroe, if Donald Trump was on the phone trying to round up votes, uh, Ron DeSantis was nowhere to be found. Right. So, but you. To me, Donald Trump is a far more potent, uh, powerful figure in the Republican Party right now than anybody else. So will, it, in order to save the economy and cut a de- keep the government going, will Republicans break away from the MAGA line to join with Democrats? I mean, you you would think what Jim said would come true, but... I'm not certain you could find Republicans to do that. Your thoughts, Monroe? I think that um, Trump's power exists, but it's waning. And by the time we get around to that, uh, they, they're going to kiss his crooked ass goodbye. <laughs> All right. That's a good spot as any to leave it. <laughs> kiss his crooked ass goodbye. I think I'll, but I'll call this show Kisses Crooked Ass <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, Monroe Anderson, thank you very much. Jim Coogan, thank you very much. Outstanding conversation, uh, if I must say so myself. Uh, and I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Jim and Monroe will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. And the D stands for DeMarvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. Peace and love, everybody.